I need 12 of you. Any of you have a story of not being chosen? Not being chosen for the team that you really wanted to play for. Not being chosen for the scholarship you thought you really merited. Not chosen for the award that you really hoped you would receive. Not chosen as a spouse by the man you hoped would marry you. Now, I was not chosen for my school's cricket team, although many felt that I was better than several who were on that team. And it really hurt until a very good friend of mine who knew about my capabilities decided that he was going to give his place and let me play. And would you believe it that my contributions, both with bat and cricket, but my contributions with bat and ball were instrumental in our team winning that competition. It hurts not to be chosen. Nothing stings like the that I'm not really good enough. But what an honor and a joy it is to really be chosen. Now, Charles Spurgeon said this, it is no mean chosen strength is melted glory is consumed yet here eternal love reveals its great thing to be chosen now in today's text, we're going to look at a very important choice that Jesus made, but not before he had taken some time to do something very important. So if you turn to St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, I'm going to read from verse 12 to 16. He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, I'm entitling this Palm Sunday message, I Need 12 of you. Sometimes we need to get away to pray. That is my first point. Now, at least once or twice a year, maybe even more than that, you and I intentionally get away to vacation, to unwind, to and children, to recalibrate. Do you ever intentionally get away to pray? For a few minutes, maybe, half an hour, even an hour. Now, how about pulling an all-nighter in prayer? Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, here's the question.
question. Why leave the synagogue to go to the mountain to pray? Now, isn't the synagogue a house of prayer? Isn't the church, Jesus, Jesus said, a house of prayer? Why leave the synagogue and go to a mountain to pray? Can't you pray anywhere? Isn't God everywhere? And if he can hear you from everywhere, why can't you, in fact, pray anywhere? Why go to a mountain to pray? Now, I'm not sure that there was anything exceptional about this mountain, except that it allowed Jesus to go there and pray in solitude. It allowed him to get away from every distraction. I want to say to us this morning, if the place that you are praying is filled with distraction, if it is too distracting, then you probably need to get away where you can pray in solitude. Now, the people in the synagogue that Jesus had just left, they had been so furious with Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath day, as we looked at last week, that they were seeking an attempt to kill him. How then can you pray in an atmosphere where there is tension, where there is chaos, where there is noise, and where there is even an attempt on your life? You can't pray there. Praying best happens in a quiet place where you can, without distraction, unburden your soul to God where you can feel God's presence, where you, and where he can feel your heartbeat, where you can pour out your soul's complaint to God without disturbance from family, friend, or foe, and even cell phone. Praying best happens in solitude. Now, there are three things that our, that our adversary, the devil, majors in, according to Richard Foster. They are noise, hurry, and the third one is crowds. And Foster says that the longer that the devil can keep us preoccupied with these three things, the happier he is. So we find Jesus often escape noise, the hurry, and the crowds to pray in solitude. This time... He continued in prayer throughout the night. And I asked myself the question, what could he have had to pray about that took all night? The whole night. Was there some burden that was weighing on his soul? Did he get him into some trouble? Or did he just need to have some quiet time with his father? Now Luke doesn't tell us any of that. He tells us merely that he got away by himself to pull an all-nighter in prayer to God. And this is not the only time that he did that. Matthew tells us that when Jesus heard that King Herod had beheaded John the Baptist, he withdrew in a boat to a desolate place by himself to pray. You can find that in Matthew 14 and verse 13. He tells us further that after miraculously feeding the 5,000, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, verse 23. Mark tells us that when the disciples returned from uh, preaching and healing, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desert place and rest a while, Mark 6 and verse
verse 20, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verses 39 through 46, which I'm now going to take the time to read. And he went out, Jesus, and went as was custom. So he, this wasn't a one-time deal for him. This was regular rhythm for him. Regular place, his customary place, his favorite place. To the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. He drew from them about a stone's throw, and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Not my will, but yours. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, there are three types of praying that we do. We do public praying, which is praying in a crowd or praying as Pastor Ben just did pastorally. There is small group prayer, which Jesus left his friends to do by themselves. And there is solitary prayer, which Jesus did alone with his Father. All three types of praying have their place and have their benefits. Public prayer, for example, can mold and build corporate faith among the listening audience. Gives us the opportunity to hear somebody pray to God the very concerns that you would have prayed about had you been the one praying. And then you're able to say amen at the prayer because what was prayed was the very thing that you would have prayed about publicly had you been the one praying. Not everyone feels comfortable praying publicly. But praying publicly can be a corporate faith builder. And then there's small group prayer with pe people that you know. And this is less intim intimidating because you know these people. You trust them. And so you can learn to pray in that safe place so that eventually you're able to pray publicly. And then praying in solitude allows you to disclose to your heavenly father the things that are close to your chest, the things that you don't want anybody else to know about. You can be vulnerable to the father, more vulnerable than you can be with anybody else, even your husband or wife or girlfriend or brother or sister. You can tell him the things that really matter to you. It is you and the Father, and then sometimes you wonder, where does time go? Because when you, get, when you look at your clock, you realize how much time you have been there with him in secret. So Jesus' getting away to pray teaches us some important lessons about prayer. First of all, prayerful reliance upon God is our best antidote that you may not enter into temptation. And then he says again, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So the question is, how can you insulate yourself against temptation? How can you prevent yourself 
from falling into temptation? How do you overcome temptation? The answer is by prayerful dependence upon God. So temptation that the devil uses to draw you away from prayerful dependence upon God. Anything that detours you away from faithfulness to Jesus so that you are preoccupied with noise and hurry and crowds. Anything that tricks you into yielding or to a lifestyle that is displeasing to God. That is temptation. Of Jesus is tempted. James cautions us. Let me say when he said, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown gives for or brings forth death. I want you to notice seven things that this passage says that we all need to be aware of. First of all, every Christian, every Christian without exception faces temptation. Secondly, temptation is an attack from the devil, never from God. He never tempts anyone. Thirdly, we are all tempted in the area that appeals to our desires, to our weaknesses. The devil never tempts you in an area where you are strong, only where you are vulnerable and weak. Fourthly, it is possible to give in to our desires or our weaknesses. Fifthly, temptation is not sin, but yielding to sin is. Sixthly, we do not have to yield to temptation. We can overcome it. Seven, yielding to temptation ultimately leads to spiritual death. And so the best and perhaps the only way to insulate yourself against temptation that leads to sin is to pray, Jesus says, that you may not enter into temptation. Now what then should you pray? First of all, pray Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Now, what does that mean? It means, Lord, don't let my weakness meet up with opportunity. If my weakness and the opportunity can meet, I will give in to temptation. That's what that means. Don't let my desire or my weakness meet with opportunity. Secondly, pray God, remove my cup of suffering. But you must also add this phrase, but only if you're willing. Can I say that again? Lord, remove my cup of suffering, but only if you are willing. Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Now raise your hand if you don't have a cup of suffering. I didn't see any hands. Raise your hands if your body doesn't cause you any level of physical suffering. Or if you don't have any marital or family issues that cause you emotional distress. 
or if you don't have things going on in your life that create a huge concern for you. We all do. And it is okay to pray, God, remove my cup of suffering, but only if you are willing. Because you see, God may very well not be willing. God may prefer to use your suffering to teach you prayerful dependence or reliance upon him. Until you get to the place where you can say, like where he, you can say, told Paul, my grace, your grace, God, is sufficient for me, and your strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so God did not remove Jesus' cup of suffering, because God's will was that Jesus' suffering would be the means through which you and I would be redeemed from our sins. So it is okay to pray, God, take away, take away the things that are causing me pain and suffering in my life, but only if you're willing. Thirdly, pray for God's will to be done and not yours. Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, let me ask you, how often this past week has your will been in conflict with God's will? I guarantee you that that has happened. Because you see, what you want and what I want is not always what God wants. I don't know about you. But I usually want what I think is best for me. But here's the beauty. God wants what he knows is best for me. See, I may, think that some, I may think that something is good for me, but it isn't. But God knows what is best for me. And so God's word to his people, God's words to his people are very clear. It says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, God himself speaking, For my thoughts and not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so very often, our will comes into clash or into conflict with God's will, and we need to pray that God's will be done and not ours. We need to surrender to God's will so that God may carry out his kingdom work in and through us. And guess what? Prayer is what gives God permission to have his will done through us. Here's our third point. Waiting on God brings God's strength to our aid. Luke tells us that, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Don't you find often that after you've taken time to pray that you are strengthened in the inner man? Because that's what prayer does. Prayer gives over our control to God and allows God to strengthen us with power by his spirit in our inner being. Every time that we pray, that happens. I'm told in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 through 31, God himself saying, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, did you notice the given in these verses? It is a given that we who are older, that we do get weary. 
and we do faint, and we do get exhausted. We who are older, I hate to burst your bubble, but we are no longer spring chickens. <laughs> we, we are no longer there. And those of you who are 40 and coming along, you will very soon realize that you're no longer the spring chickens that you once were. This is a physical reality. No matter how much we try to deny it, it is real. But it's not only a physical reality, it is also a spiritual reality. Because you see, spiritual weariness and fainting and burnout, these all happen unless we constantly are renewing our minds and our strength by our prayerful dependence upon God. Whenever we pray, God sends an angel from heaven to renew our strength through his spirit in our inner being. Secondly, prayer allows us to access God's wisdom. And James says that if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. In other words, pray to God for wisdom because he gives generously to all without finding fault. And so it is only after Jesus had prayed that he was able to choose these 12 men whom he called apostles. He chose Simon, and he renamed him Peter. His brother Andrew as well, James and his brother John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot the traitor. Now obviously this was a ragtag group of people from different backgrounds. But I want you to notice some very striking things about these men. One was a man whose name he changed, and with it, the entire trajectory of his life. Have you gotten a name change from Jesus? Has he renamed you? One of them was a hated tax collector. You might call him a sellout of his people. Jim Dunn, was, when he was here, spoke to that. One of them was a zealot. In other words, he was a revolutionary. He believed in the overthrow, the violent overthrow of the government. He was chosen. I find it fascinating that there were two sets of brothers among them. See, God is not just saving, God is not in, just interested in saving me. He's interested in saving my brother as well, my biological brother. One was chosen even though Jesus knew that he would be a traitor, but he chose him anyway, perhaps to give him a chance to even change his mind, which he never did. They were all chosen only after Jesus had prayed for wisdom. And so prayer brings us God's strength and prayer brings us God's wisdom. The bottom line of our message this morning is that God has chosen you to be his very own, his own children, his own family. I want to direct this first point this morning to those who are not yet a part of God's family. You may be here this morning under the sound of my voice in person, or you may be following us online. I want to speak directly to you. And I want to challenge you this morning with these words, let God choose you. Let God choose you. You cannot choose God. You are incapable of doing that on your own. God has to choose you. 
Your natural inclination is never toward God, but toward evil. And so you have to let God choose. It is what Jesus says in John's, John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. So Jesus is interested in choosing you to be his very own so that he might make your life fruitful and productive because without him, you cannot live a fruitful and productive life for the kingdom. It is no mean thing to be chosen by God. I wonder if there's any person here this morning who wants to let God choose them. Here's the second application point this morning. It is directed to us who are believers. Stop making excuses for not praying. I'm told by the Christian Post that here are the top 10 reasons that people give for not praying. First one is, I am too busy. And I would say that if you're too busy to pray, then you are too busy. So Martin Luther once said, and I quote him, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. If you're too busy to pray, then you are too busy and something needs to change. Second, the second reason that people give for not praying is that I don't know how to, to do it right. Well, how about just talking to God like you're talking to a friend? It's not disrespectful at all to talk to God that way. Third excuse, prayer doesn't work anyway. Well, that's not how Jesus or the early church treated it at all. The fourth excuse, prayer just changes us, not situations. Who told you that? Prayer changes both people and circumstances. I don't sound good when I pray is another excuse. Well, prayer is not a speech competition. God is not looking to see who speaks the best. Prayer is the utterance of your heart, and God hears your heart. Another excuse is, I'd rather read the Bible than pray. Well, without book, it's just a one-way conversation. If you're reading God's Word, you're just letting God talk to you. If you're only praying to God, you're just talking to God. How about allowing both to happen, where you are talking to God and then allowing Him to talk back to you? Another excuse is, God won't take me seriously. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. God does take you seriously. Seventh excuse is, it feels weird. Well, so does the skin of a pineapple, doesn't it? But underneath that skin, there is something sweet. And uh, sometimes prayer does feel weird. But when you are communing with the Father, there is a sweetness there. Sweetness. People may mock me if they see me praying. Well, good. Persecution. I wouldn't know where to begin. Well, how about using the Lord's Prayer as a way to grease the tracks? So let's all stop with the excuses. Let us get into prayer to God, waiting on Him. Here's a final application point this morning. Make waiting on God the central activity of your life. 
reading a book called um, through us as we are faithfully present to him and faithfully present to one another. And there are seven disciplines that the author spells out there. But I want to challenge us this morning. Set time of prayer. Faithfully present. I want to challenge us to declutter our lives because our lives do get cluttered. I want to challenge us this morning to get off the hurry train. I want to challenge us to come away from the noise and from the crowds. That's not easy to do, but we have to begin somewhere. Get alone with God regularly to give yourself in prayer. You might be asking me the question, well, what are some of the things you pray about? First of all, pray that God will keep you. Pray, Lord, renew my strength as I'm weak. If opportunity and desire meet, I am going to keep me from temptation and give me the strength to overcome. Pray, God, give me wisdom, guidance protection, because how we need that. Some of us travel a lot on the highways. We need God's protection. Pray, God, would you remove these cups of suffering from my life, but only if you're willing, God. If you choose to, use them to teach me prayerful dependence upon you. Pray, God, let your will be done on earth, even as it is being done in heaven. Pray, Lord, would you save the thousands of people help our leaders, our church leaders, our government leaders. Pray, Lord, let there be peace on earth. Let there be peace in Ukraine and on earth. And let this peace be. God, we are so thankful that you have chosen us. It is a great thing to be chosen by the God of heaven. You have included us on your team. And God, you desire for us to be fully dependent upon you because the battle is never won through skill or might, but through dependence upon you. We ask, O oh God, that you would help us as a church and as individuals this morning, to enjoin the battle through prayer, personal prayer, small group prayer, corporate prayer, public prayer. May our voices be heard in heaven and may you use our prayer to transform us, to bless our families, to strengthen our marriages, to guide our children in their choices of college and career and life's partner. God, to grow our church through the salvation of lost people. 
We ask, God, that our prayers would be heard in heaven and that you would grant the desires of our heart. It is in Jesus' name we pray.